Father, thankful for our servant sacrifice, Jesus, who was wounded on our behalf so that by His stripes we could be healed. And Lord, it is uh, on His finished work that we depend. And Lord, we live our lives for Him and we have been brought out of slavery and slavery to sin and into slavery to righteousness and we are happily servants of You. We give ourselves joyfully to You. Lord, we know that our lives as Christians is not easy and we know that it is not full of, of all just blessing and, and gifts, but, but Lord, even in the trials, we see Your hand, we see Your love, and we see that You have not abandoned us. So in that way, we have uh, nothing to complain about. We are happy to, to go on this life even when there are breakdowns along the way. We're, we're happy to go on because we know in the next life we will receive eternal uh, eternal rewards that will far outweigh the trials that we face in this life. Lord, give us uh, hope this evening through the power of Your Word. May we understand more about You and how to pray to You and how to sing praises to You. As we look at this psalm, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let me ask you to turn to Psalm number 17. Psalm number 17. This is a trust psalm written by King David. David is in a place of desperation. His back is up against the wall. And all of his resources have been exhausted. That is, he's used up everything that he could, apparently, to try to protect himself and to be delivered from his enemies. Except for his greatest resource, and that is his God. And that's who he's going to turn to now in time, in a time of difficulty, in time of trouble, in a time of, I would say, even desperation. And we can learn from David's example. And again, I just want to mention that the Psalms are generic enough so that we can often put our name right in there. We can, we can see ourselves in these Psalms. And I think they're meant to be that way so that they appeal to a wider audience and so that they'll apply to our specific struggles. That's why the Psalms are so dear to so many Christians. And I think this will apply to us as well as we look at this psalm tonight. So let me read it for us, beginning with verse 1. This is the Word of God. Hear a just cause, O Lord. Give heed to my cry. Give ear to my prayer, which is not from deceitful lips. Let my judgment come forth from Your presence. Let Your eyes look with equity. You have tried my heart. You have visited me by night. You have tested me and you find nothing. I have purposed that my mouth will not transgress. As for the deeds of men, by the word of your lips, I have kept from the paths of the violent. My steps have held fast to your paths. My feet have not slipped. I have called upon you, for you will answer me, O God. Incline your ear to me. Hear my speech. Wondrously show your loving kindness, O Savior, of those who take refuge at your right hand from those who rise up against them. Keep me as the apple of the eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. From the wicked who despoil me, my deadly enemies who surround me, they have closed their unfeeling heart. With their mouth they speak proudly. They have now surrounded us in our steps. They set their eyes to cast down to the ground. He is like a lion that is eager to tear, and as a young lion lurking in hiding places. Arise, O Lord, confront him, 
Bring him low. Deliver my soul from the wicked with your sword. From men with your hand, O Lord. From men of the world whose portion is in this life and whose belly you will fill with your treasure. They are satisfied with children and leave their abundance to their babes. As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. I will be satisfied with your likeness when I awake. David teaches us, and I would say the Holy Spirit teaches us, that we must plead our case to God so that He might deliver us from our enemies. God expects for us to plead our case to Him so that we will be delivered from our enemies. You see, several um, several things here. Mainly, David's making a, a prayer to God. First, a confident prayer for vindication. And then, second, a plea for protection from enemies. And then third, prayer for deliverance from his enemies. So first, confident prayer for vindication. Vindication, that is, to be shown to be right, to, to be seen as right. When all of the evidence has been laid out, it will be clear that David was right in what he did. That's what I mean by, by David coming before God with, with a prayer for vindication. God, vindicate me. Justify me. In the sense that, that, that my works would be seen to be righteous. His prayers in verses 1 and 2. Notice the requests that are made to God here in verses 1 and 2. Hear a just cause. Give heed to my cry. Give ear. Then verse 2. Let my judgment come forth from your presence. Let your eyes look with equity. So here he just has this, this, um, this urgent, rapid fire pleading with God to listen to His just cause. He, he, you can picture him with his back up against the wall. His enemies are closing in. He knows, however, that he is innocent. And so he tells God that. God, come to my aid. You know me. You know that I am innocent here. That I am not bringing this upon myself. David wants his case to be heard. But he doesn't want it to be heard by just anyone. Just another human. You know, just Why don't you take a look at the evidence and then you decide. No, he wants to be heard by God. Look at verse 2 again. Notice the emphasis there. Let my judgment come forth from Your presence. Let Your eyes look with equity. God, I want You to see this for what it is. God, if You would accept my case into Your courtroom, You would see that I am being mistreated by my enemies and yet I am innocent. I haven't done anything to, to cause them to rise up against me. In fact, I've done nothing but serve you, God. So you see that. You know that. So now I want you to take my case before you and evaluate me. In verses 3-5, through five, we see his confidence in his own integrity. His confidence in his own integrity. The basis upon which David expects to be heard by God is his own innocence. He knows that he is pure. Look at verse 3. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be... I'm sorry, that's Psalm 18. Let's go back to 17 where we're studying. Uh, Psalm 17. You have tried my heart. You have visited me by night. You have tested me and you find nothing. I have purposed that my mouth will not transgress. So here David's saying, listen, I am innocent. I know that I'm innocent. I want you to evaluate me and see that I'm innocent. He's saying, it's not just my outward actions that are innocent, but, but really my inward desires and the motivations that, that drive me. Notice verse 3 again. You have tried my heart. See, it's not just 
You look at my life and, and see that I've obeyed the, the Ten Commandments. No, you can actually look in. Look into my heart and see that, that I have been pure. Now, this is an amazing statement. Particularly since we know and David knows that God sees everything, doesn't He? Listen to Proverbs 5.21. For the ways of a man are before the eyes of the Lord and He watches all His paths. Is there anything that God cannot see? Proverbs 15.3. The eyes of the Lord are in every place watching the evil and the good. Is there something that David could be hiding from God? Hebrews 4.13 And there is no creature hidden from God's sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of Him who we, with whom we have to do. No creature is hidden from His sight. Everybody is under the microscope of God's view. Second Chronicles 16.9 For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro, or back and forth, throughout the earth, that He may strongly support those whose heart is completely His. God looks back and forth over all the earth and He knows who are His. He knows who the faithful are. He can see. We are open and laid bare before Him like a grave. God sees everything. And David says, listen, I'm innocent, God. Look at me. Now, notice this integrity applies more to just His actions and His heart, but also to His tongue. Look at the last part of verse 3. I have purposed that my mouth will not transgress. Transgress. Then we see in verses 4 and 5 that his claim of integrity applies to the things that he does as well. So my heart, my tongue, and, and his outward actions. Verse 4, As for the deeds of men, by the words of your lips, I have kept from the paths of the wicked. So negatively speaking, he has kept away from the wicked. And then positively, verse 5, I have held fast to your paths, God. My feet have not slipped. Not only have I not strayed to the path of the wicked, but I have stayed on the path of the righteous. Your path, God. So David's saying, I have integrity before you, God. I am innocent, and yet I am being attacked by my enemies. God, come to my aid. Recognize my case and respond on my behalf. So how can David say this? How can he say that not only his actions are pure and his tongue is blameless, but, but he's saying that his heart is actually pure as well? How can he say that, that he is obedient to God? Now what we need to be clear about is that David is not claiming perfection. Do you think God would know if David were blowing smoke with these claims? You know, if David were just saying these things, well, I know I'm not completely innocent, but I'll just say this to God, maybe I can, can uh, deceive Him. Of course God knows, right? We already read all those verses. It says that God does know. So David's not claiming perfection here, but notice that David is not correcting his claims of integrity. See, what we need to recognize is that this psalm is a psalm of the Holy Spirit. That is, the Holy Spirit inspired this psalm. It's what God wants us to know. And yet, while David claims integrity, he doesn't come back later in the psalm and say, well, I, maybe I spoke too highly of myself. So what that tells us is that, there, that, that David is claiming something that is possible to reach by a fallen human being. That is a, a human being this side of Adam. That, that it's possible to somehow claim integrity, innocence, 
before God with everything that we do, including our hearts, it is possible to do so without being perfect. Because we can't be perfect. Right? There, there, if anyone says that he has no sin, he's, he's a liar. 1 John 1.8 okay, So we can't claim that. David's not claiming that. He's claiming some kind of integrity. And so I would say that generally speaking, he's saying, I am a man of integrity and innocence because I have followed your ways, God. I have stayed on your path. Now we'll talk more about this next week, but, but let me just skip ahead to Psalm 18 and show you Psalm 18, 25. Here we have David again, and he's praising God for delivering him from his enemies. And he says in verse 25, With the kind God, you show yourself kind. And with the blameless, you, you show yourself blameless. So God, you who are blameless, you show yourself, your character, to the ones who are blameless. And so we look at the verse like that and we got to say, well, I guess there's no one that, that God shows Himself to then. Right? Because... I mean, who can actually claim that he is blameless? But but do you recognize that in scriptures, in the scriptures, blamelessness is a legitimate category for Christians to have. Right? Do you remember one of the qualifications of the pastor in First Timothy three two? The very first one. First Timothy three one says it's a good thing to pursue the office of an overseer. Then the second verse says uh, that the pastor, the overseer, must be a man who is what? Blameless or without reproach. The King James has blameless. Same Greek word that translates. That is that, that no charge could be laid against him and stick. So someone says, well, you know, he's a greedy person. That's not above, and if that charge stuck, then that person's, not, that person's not above reproach. He's not blameless. That's the idea here. So the basis on which David expects to be heard by God is His own blamelessness. Don't think sinless perfection. Think integrity. Think innocence. Think a general path towards the truth. That's what David's saying. God, on the basis of my, my condition, my, my perspective, my, my character, come to my aid. So we've seen the basic prayer. He's asking for vindication. Vindicate me. We've seen the basis for the prayer, integrity. And now we need to see the content of the prayer, or we could call it the nature of the request. In verses 6-12, through 12, the nature of the request. And it is a plea for protection from His enemies. Verses 6-12, through 12, a plea for protection from His enemies. And here again, He begins with the prayer, and then he describes the enemy. So in the first section, verses 1-5, to he began with a prayer and then a reason for God to answer him. Here he begins with a prayer, verses 6-9, to and then he describes his enemies. So first, the prayer regarding his enemies. David begins in verse 6 with his request portion of his prayer by acknowledging his trust in God. He says, verse 6, I have called upon you, for you will answer me, O God. Have you ever said that to God before? God, I call to your name, because I know that you will respond. How do we know that God will respond to us? Okay, He says He will. Any other reasons? How might David know that God responds to his prayer? Because God has in the past. Same thing is true for us. 
We believe God's promise that He will respond to us and we've seen Him respond to us. And that's what David's saying. I will call on you for you will answer me. I know you will, God, because you're a faithful God and you won't abandon me. His initial request is found at the end of verse 6. Incline your ear to me. Hear my speech. Again, it is, is God, listen to me. Respond to me. Listen to my prayer. His specific request is in verses 7-9. through nine. It is to be protected from His evil enemies. And, and David says in verse 7, God, do this on the basis of Your loyal love. You see that in verse 7? Wondrously show Your loving kindness. That word loving kindness is translated off, off, often throughout the Old Testament as loving kindness. And it's from a Hebrew word that means covenant faithfulness. God, You are faithful. This is what Bob was just saying. You know, God is faithful to His promises. And David's appealing to that. And what is it that David needs God to do at the end of verse 7? O Savior of those who take refuge at Your right hand from those who rise up against them. David needs God to protect him. He needs God to be his refuge from David's enemies. Apparently, again, David's enemies are closing in on him. They're ready to attack. And David says, God, I'm at the end of my rope. I'm all the way backed up. And I need you to intervene and thwart the plans of the evil. The appeal for the protection is seen in verse 8. He gets a little deeper here. He says, Keep me as the apple of the eye and hide me in the shadow of your wings. The apple of the eye in the Old Testament is referring to the pupil. So he could be saying, you know, nobody wants to have their pupil injured or destroyed. So we protect our pupil. I don't think he's saying that. More likely what he's saying is, God, use, make me, David, as the apple of your eye. That is, give all of your attention to me. Focus your attention as if you're my bodyguard. Or or like for the president's secret service. That's what David wanted him to do. So, so God, look around at the situation like a secret service guy would do for the president. Look around at the situation, recognize what's going on, and then come to my aid. Because I'm being attacked. Now, can you picture the secret service guys who just cover up Ronald Reagan after the shot was fired? Or JFK? That's what David's saying, God, do that to me. Hey, come and cover up. Cover me up. Protect me. He's calling God to act. And then he calls God to protect here at the end of verse 8. Keep me under the shadow of your wings. Obviously, that's a picture of, of, uh, of a young going under the wings of his mother. And so David says, don't just move to action. Like, focus on what's going on and then protect me. But but also keep me in a place of protection. You know, cover me up so that I can be protected. The enemies of of David are are they're introduced actually at the end of verse seven. Let me just show you that, and then we'll pick up from verse nine. At the end of verse seven, O Savior, for those who take refuge at your right hand, from those who rise up against them. That's the first time he described his enemy. He started out by saying. God, help me. Help me. Help me. Incline your ear to me because I'm innocent. 
And then here, for the first time, he introduces why he needs help at the end of verse 7. And then verse 9, Keep me as the apple of the eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. What are you hiding from, David? What do you need God to hide you from? Verse 9, From the wicked who despoil me, my deadly enemies who surround me. Now, I, I don't remember the last time I used despoil in a sentence, so that's not maybe the most helpful word in our day. But what are some other translations that you have? How does that how does that translate verse verse nine from the wicked who what what is it okay do me violence ESV what else anybody else got another translation all right NIV has seek to destroy the NLT has attack the KJV has oppress so I think all those are good translations to spoil maybe not the most helpful but but you get the idea that's that's the idea. These enemies are seeking to destroy me. They're seeking to, to do violence to me, to, to, to attack me. With an evil, evil group of God-despising enemies who are all around David, who could possibly defeat them? Who can win against David's attacking enemies? You see, David needs what we need when our enemies are attacking. That is, we need God to rise up and destroy them. He describes His enemies in verses 10-12. through 12. He goes into more details about them. First, in verse 10, they are heartless and arrogant. They have closed... Here's the heartless part. They have closed their unfeeling heart. Literally, they have closed up their fat. They have closed up the fat around the heart is the idea. It's as if their heart is completely closed off to anything that's sensible or kind. That the heart has become, and I think this is a good translation here, unfeeling. It's become calloused, cold, indifferent to the things of God. God, these are the people who are, who are at my, uh, who are about to assault me. They are heartless, and they are also arrogant. At the end of verse ten. With their mouth they speak proudly. They spew out pride and, er- and, and they proud and arrogant words that defy God and oppose believers. Verse 11, they're cruel and destructive. They have now surrounded us in our steps. They set their eyes to cast us down to the ground. They have surrounded us in our steps. So just picture you're, you're walking down a street late at night and you got somebody right on top of you that's just mirroring your steps. They are persecuting David from up close. And David's saying, they're in my steps. They're, they're right near me. They've surrounded me. And, and their, their goal is to destroy me. Do you see that at the end of verse 11? They set their eyes to cast us down to the ground. They, they want to see me fall. And they're going to be the source of that fall. Verse 12, they're powerful and hungry for destruction. They're pictured here as lions, as hungry lions. A lion that is eager to tear. You know, he hasn't had his meal in a while and he sees somebody who's weak. And he's but he doesn't just go and attack. He does it deceptively, doesn't he? Look at the end of verse twelve. And as a young lion lurking in hiding places, he waits for his prey prey to be at its weakest, its most vulnerable when it's away from the rest of the pack, and that's when he pounces. 
So David's saying these enemies are very real. And God, I need you to come to my aid. There's nothing I can do to protect myself. I need you to be my refuge. In verses 13 through 15, we see David's prayer for deliverance from his enemies. Notice that in each of these three sections, there is a prayer. He says, Hear a just cause, verse 1. Give ear to my prayer. And then verse 6, at the end of the verse, Incline your ear to me. And then verse 13, Arise, O Lord, confront him, bring him low, deliver my soul. And, and you just picture him at, at, at his wit's end, just with this rapid fire type plea for God to help. God, arise, confront. Have you done this before? Have you been in such a difficult situation that you, you didn't have a lot of um, eloquent words to say to God? But you said, God, help. Please come to my aid. I need you. Those are calls of desperation and urgency and those are good calls to make to our loving Father. And as we should learn from David when we are being opposed when we are faced by threat and danger, we should turn to God and pray for the defeat of our enemy. David prays for two things here in verses 13 and 14. He prays for deliverance, and then, in, and then uh, that's actually in verse 13 and 14. And then in verse 15, satisfaction. Satisfaction in God. So first, David wants deliverance from temporal-minded men. David wants deliverance from temporal-minded men. These men who are attacking him, think that this life is all that there is to live for. Do you know anybody like that? They just live it up in this world. They are worldly in the truest sense, aren't they? They are in complete agreement with this world's system that is opposed to God and opposed to His people and opposed to God's law. Notice how he describes it there in verse 13. Well, the prayers in verse 13, and then he describes their situation. Verse 14, From men with your hand, O Lord. So deliver me from men with your hand, O Lord. From men of the world, so they're worldly in the truest sense, whose portion is in this life. Does that make sense? Their, their, their treasure is in this life. You, you give them the inheritance, it's in this life. They are enjoying it to the full. At least as full as they know how. And then David goes on at the end of verse 14 and says that God fills them up with treasure. He says, Whose belly you fill, notice you talking about God, you fill with your treasure. What is he talking about there? It could mean that God fills them up with His treasure and His mind, God's mind. That is judgment, final judgment on those who oppose Him. I don't think that's what it means because at the end of the verse, it talks about they're satisfied with their children and they leave their abundance. So it sounds like they're actually they're enjoying some of God's treasure that is His common grace. Isn't it true that the, the, the rain falls on the crops of both the righteous and who else? The unrighteous. Right? God is good in a common way to both those who follow Him and those who oppose Him. Right? Because if God wanted to, He could bring judgment upon us the first time that we sinned, couldn't He? But He gives common grace. So David's saying, listen, God, for these people whose portion is this life, their goal, their, their life, life is all about this world, 
You fill them up with your treasure. You fill them up with all sorts of good gifts. It's like you just keep pouring out more and more good gifts on them. And notice what happens. They are satisfied with their children. But when they die, what happens? What happens to all those gifts, all those treasures that God had poured down on them with His common grace? What happens to them? They leave them behind, don't they? All the abundance that they built up in their lifetime and enjoyed from the hand of God without acknowledging Him, they leave them all behind. They treasured those things which were passing away and they weren't able to take them with them. So David said, deliver me from these people. That's all they care about. God, they don't care about your purposes. They don't care about your future kingdom. They don't care about have any, uh, spending eternity with you. They don't care about any of those things. You know what they care about? They care about themselves and, and living life to the full. And so deliver me from them because one of the things that they're trying to take joy in is my destruction. In verse 15, David prays not just for deliverance from them, but also prayer, a prayer for satisfaction in God. David prays that he would be satisfied in God. This is a prayer for divine favor. He wants to see God's face. As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness, and I will be satisfied with your likeness when I awake. This comes across as a statement, but remember, in the bigger part of this psalm, it is a prayer. He's saying, there's coming a day when I will behold your face. Now, it could be that he's talking about future He wants to enjoy the eternal satisfaction of seeing God face to face. And I think that may be included, but I think primarily he's speaking about beholding God's face in this lifetime. That is, receiving blessings from God. Knowing of God's presence and His care for Him. But then recognizing too that one day it's all going to culminate in something great. Look at the end of verse 15. I will be satisfied with your likeness when I awake. This word, awake, when it's translated from the Hebrew in, in the Old Testament, is, is the most common word for the resurrection. So David's looking forward to something that will com- culminate in the final resurrection when he will be with God. He recognizes that his greatest joy, even if the enemies take his life, right? even if they torture him to death, he knows that he has something to look forward to. He expects God to listen. He expects God to act He prays for vindication and he knows that God may answer in this lifetime, but for sure God will answer in the next lifetime. That is, there will come a day when David stands before God and he will be vindicated. Even if on the earth he wasn't shown to be righteous by the people around him, if he was destroyed, he would still stand before God one day and be vindicated. So, one application tonight as we conclude first or first and only trust in God especially when the enemy is approaching trust in God especially when the enemy is approaching we can be confident in God's rule and his final reign over sin and God's final reign over evil, putting it all away. We can be confident in that when the skies are blue. But what about the time 
in our lives when the sky grows dark and the arrows of our enemies, I'm speaking spiritually, metaphorically here, but when the arrows of our enemies start to fly, can we still trust God in those times? I mean, we hopefully are trusting God in, in the blue skies and when things are going smoothly. But can we trust God when it's dark and we feel alone and we're being attacked? This is where David is. And this, is, this may be where some of you are right now. You may be right now being attacked by your enemy. Maybe it's through slander or gossip or verbal assault. And the temptation for you might be to give up on God and give up on His method, methods and to lash out at your enemies in return. But the Holy Spirit is reminding us tonight that we should respond like our Savior. Sometimes the best response is to answer them not a word. Isn't that what Jesus did when He was tried before Herod and others? They continued to mock Him, and yet He answered them not a word. Now, other times it is appropriate to state your case to your enemy, so I don't don't mean don't ever get into a discussion with someone else who who opposes you. It's not what the Scriptures teach. Sometimes you need to answer a fool in his folly or else he'll become wise in his own eyes. That's what Proverbs 26 says. But, but whether you're quiet or whether you answer, either way, in both of those cases, you need to trust God. And the way that you and I trust God is by talking to Him and waiting for Him like David does here. Do you need deliverance from your enemy? Then cleanse your heart. Go before God with integrity. Plead your case before Him. Tell Him to, show, to, to open you up. Expose you for who you are. And reveal any hidden faults within you. Urgently ask God for help. Tell Him about your enemies. Talk to Him about the specific situation. Sometimes we just go through prayers and just kind of hustle through them. Kind of just not thinking or maybe just, well, God already knows all this, so I don't need to explain all this again to Him. God wants to hear from you. He wants to hear details. He wants to hear you cry for help. He's not torturing you so that you will cry for help. That's not the point. But, but He loves to come to the aid of those who recognize they need Him. And so He wants to come and intervene on your behalf. But call, call out to Him and then wait on Him. God is not unjust so as to forget that you are His child, nor is He unjust so that He will forget His promise to treat you like His child, nor is He unjust that He will turn away from you or turn toward you in punishment. That's not our God. When you ask for bread from your God, God either gives you bread or He delays because He's a good Father. But what we know He will not do is give us a stone. He is on our side. And so we can trust Him when the arrows fly. Any questions or comments?